Asia-Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 7th of April. You're here on Community Radio 3CR and it is the first week of Pierre's extended, extraordinary, opulent leave. So I'm Giselle Hanna and I have with me victim number one. Hello, Giselle. <laughs> Matt Kunkel here, listeners. I'm here to report that the weather outside is wonderful. And hello to Pierre, <laughs> wherever you are. That was the uh, the scientific news, the, the weather that Pierre sent us by email, just in case um, we couldn't get it from the Bureau of Meteorology. <laughs> we do have an action-packed show today. So we might get straight into it, but before we do, of course, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web, allthews.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so find us on those social media platforms as well. In the second part of the show, we'll be speaking with Huweda Araf. She is a Palestinian-American human rights activist. Of course, we're going to be focusing on the extraordinary atrocities that we're seeing in Gaza at the moment. So that is the conversation in the second part of the show. But first up, news from around the region. First up, we are... We're a week into the protest on the Gaza border, a six-week protest series from Land Day, which is on 30th of March and commemorates the 1976 general strikes in relation to Israel's illegal acquisition of Palestinian land to Al-Nakba on 15 May, which marks the 1948 catastrophe that began Israeli apartheid against Palestinians. In the last few days, there have been more killings and increased aggression by the Israeli Defence Force against unarmed Palestinian protesters. In fact, the IDF is shooting en masse anyone that approaches the border. Yesterday, seven people were killed and a thousand injured when a sniper opened fire. Overnight, the Palestinian Journalist Syndicate reported that six Palestinian journalists were shot and wounded by the Israeli army. The union, and the, the union said the six were shot despite wearing clothes clearly identifying themselves as journalists, but none of the injuries were life-threatening. The Gaza Centre for Media Freedom, which defends Palestinian journalists, called on the international community to intervene and protect its journalists. And of course, in the second part of the show, when we hear from Huweda, we're going to learn a little bit more about the importance of international solidarity in that particular struggle. Moving now to India, India continues its persecution of Muslims with the recent attack in the form of a Rohingya crisis in the making. The state of Assam is updating its citizenship records in an effort to weed out illegal citizens, mostly Muslims of Bengali origin, um, that have lived in India for over six decades. Residents have until the 31st of May to update their papers with the National Register of Citizens, and the Supreme Court has ruled that it will not extend this deadline. 
The move could see some 5 million Indians disenfranchised. President Nahendra Modi and his Bajarata Janata Party is deeply Hindu chauvinistic, in other words, fascist. Modi was the chief minister of Gujarat during the infamous 2002 riots that saw more than 1,000 Muslims murdered and countless others raped and abused in the streets. Divisions on the basis of ethnicity, religion or citizenship status only serve warmongering capitalists. Workers must resist communalism and build unity in struggle for our common demands. Of course, when we think of fascists, we only think of white people and we think of governments like uh, Donald Trump. But we're seeing this display in in the Philippines and in India. Fascism is not a white suprem, not strictly a white supremacist movement. The deadly mine safety crisis continues to claim workers' lives in Pakistan. Six workers were reportedly killed on the night of the 4th and 5th of April after an explosion at a coal mine in the Sorab area of Kalat released a poisonous gas, suffocating workers to death. At least 11 workers at mines in different parts of Pakistan have died since the end of March. On the 1st of April, an explosion at the Ali mines in Jhelum district triggered a roof collapse, trapping six workers under the debris. According to reports from the All-Pakistan Federation of United Trade Unions, Two workers were rescued, but the other four workers died, two of whom were brothers. On the 15th of March 2018, Industrial, along with its affiliates in Pakistan, launched a campaign for health and safety in Pakistan mines and called on the government of Pakistan to immediately ratify and implement ILO ILO Convention 176 on safety and health in mines. It's only through workers' struggle that health and safety can be won at work. Of course, that's um, very reminiscent of the um, the mining accidents that we saw in China. I mean, China was a particular situation where some 6,000 workers a year die in those mines, but um, watching these atrocities in Pakistan is obviously very alarming. Moving now to Australia, many of you will know, I, I don't know, I don't watch TV, but I heard that the Commonwealth Games were a thing. Mm. There are some demonstrations at the moment. Indigenous activists and their supporters in Brisbane are conducting a protest against the Commonwealth Games under the title of the Stolen Wealth Games. They're demanding land rights and recognition that Aboriginal sovereignty has never been ceded. On the 4th of April, protesters blocked the Queen's Baton Rally, an event designed to drum up publicity and generate enthusiasm for the British Empire, which apparently we're a part of. Mm. Protesters asked for Prince Charles to talk to them when he arrived that day. He obviously didn't. Three activists were arrested, including Dylan Voller, who who became famous because of his mistreatment during juvenile detention in the Northern Territory. The Labor movement needs to bring its strength to support the struggles of Indigenous people for sovereignty, land rights, an end to racism and the repayment of stolen wages. And with any luck, Matt, I will be speaking with some of those activists on the show next week. That's good. And there's something a little bit perverted about the British Empire pitting all its colonial uh, people against each other for for medals which have been dug out of their own colonies as well. (laughs) That's right. I didn't think of it like that. Um, Moving to South Korea, where former President Park Geun-hye was sentenced to 24 years in prison and fined 18 billion won, which is 16.8 million US dollars, on Friday in a ruling on on a ruling on a massive corruption case that led to her removal from office last year. Former President Park's impeachment and removal from office was a direct result of the massive people's protest movement that erupted in South Korea as a result of the bribery charges dubbed the Candlelight Movement. 
The Seoul Central District Court found Park guilty on 16 charges involving bribery, abuse of power, coercion and the leaking of state secrets. While this result is extraordinary and has taken many by surprise, it's important to remember that what happened in the ca- it's important to remember what happened in the case of Lee Jae-yong, the de facto head of the giant Samsung Corporation. Lee had been jailed for 5 years for his involvement in the cor- in the same corruption scandal, but in February this year, after almost a year in jail, he was released when an appeals court cut his sentence. Still, 23 years or 24 years and Park Geun-hye has lost many constitutional appeals. Still, 24 years is a massive sentence and Park Geun-hye has lost many constitutional appeals in relation to this corruption scandal. It demonstrates the power and effectiveness of mass strikes and collective action, which must continue in order to win economic justice for workers in Korea. Yeah, I just, I was shocked and surprised by that result myself. Um, But we should, I mean... I don't mean to be a cynic, but I do wonder how long she's actually going to spend in prison. That corruption and bribery case is so widespread. There are so many multinational companies um, implicated in it. Samsung, which we mentioned in that news briefing just now, one of the biggest, dirtiest companies. We're at over 100 of those workers now in the last 10 years that have died from uh, brain tumours and brain injuries just from the conditions at work. It's 10 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents and that is the news from around the region. We're going to go to some community announcements now and then we'll be back with our feature interview for the morning. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids and come in black, white, grey and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. ECR are selling kefir Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours. Come to me, lover, I've secrets to tell. Hi, we're Dash. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Come to me, sweetly, this love. 12 minutes past 9 o'clock. This is Asia Pacific Currency with Giselle and Matt this morning. 
Our feature interview today is obviously focusing on the massive protests in Gaza at the moment. Huweda Araf is a Palestinian-American human rights activist. She's a co-founder of the International Solidarity Movement in the United States and she is formerly the chair of the Free Gaza Movement, which was about sailing boats to try to break Israeli's stranglehold over Gaza by the sea. She was also a guest of Socialist Alternative and a keynote keynote speaker at this year's Marxism conference, which was held over Easter in Melbourne, Victoria. I had an opportunity to speak with her about the particular protests from Land Day through to Al Nakba, um, but particularly the massive, massive repression by the IDF, the Israeli Defence Force. Here's Huayda. Well, right now, Gaza is still reeling with funerals of the 17 people that were shot dead, as you mentioned, just protesting, unarmed, nonviolent, wanting the world to hear that they have been dispossessed for 70 years and no one has been paying attention. And not only is about 70% of Gaza's population refugees that were uh, driven out of their homes when Israel took over their lands and, and created a state and destroyed their towns and villages. But now Israel has them trapped in Gaza and is literally making it impossible to live. The United Nations says Gaza is unlivable. They don't have any clean water. They only get four to six hours of electricity per day, meaning they can't run certain things in that we take for granted in our daily lives, and that includes emergency services and hospitals. Nearly half of Gaza's uh, medical centers and hospitals have closed. Because what do you do when, when Israel doesn't let you import certain equipment and medicine and then cut your electricity off when people in normal days get close to uh, the border, but still on Gaza's land because there's a lot of farmland in this border area Israel opens fire on them. If they try to fish more than three or four miles out, the Israeli Navy shoots at them. Israel controls everything that goes in and out, and it doesn't allow people to leave. And therefore, it really has them trapped in this small piece of land. It's only 365 square kilometers, which is really like a fraction of the size of the city of Melbourne, and people aren't allowed to leave, and they are being persecuted. And so when they tried to raise their voices, as I hope the world saw, Israel put its snipers on hilltops and started shooting at these people like fish in a barrel. It was outrageous. It was criminal. And the mainstream media, um, thank goodness we have people like you, because the mainstream media is reporting these as, as clashes. Um, a Palestinian academic said the only thing clashing is Israeli bu- bullets and Palestinian bodies. These aren't clashes. These was, was a well-armed, funded, powerful military opening fire on the unarmed people, refugees that are deprived of, of everything, including the right to live any kind of, to lead a, a dignified life, and, and they are being shot at. Not only were 17 killed, but over 1,500 injured, and now the hospitals in Gaza are having a difficult time tending to these injuries because of the restrictions that I talked about. It is very bad. We will look in some detail at um, the casualties that arose from the IDF's actions, but I do want to look a little bit at the organised protest because I think one thing it points to is that people are organised in Palestine 
despite the hardship, despite the pressures, despite the clamping down that Israel continues to do, there is a fighting spirit amongst Gazans. So this protest had been organised for a considerable period of time. It was a six-week organised um, demonstration at the border in the lead-up to a Nakba. So what can you tell me about the level of organisation, the level of resistance amongst Palestinians in Gaza? Sure. Uh, listen, it is hard even for me to explain as a Palestinian who has spent years working and organising in Palestine this spirit that people have because, you know, I was born and raised in the United States and so therefore I know... Uh, I've had certain privileges. I know what it's like to have freedoms and to be able to move and to be able to have certain rights and certain um, avenues by which to avenge, you know, rights. As people of, of Gaza and really all of Palestine do not know that because they have been living under such a brutal military occupation that is part of a settler colonial project that has been going on for 70 years. And therefore, anybody under the age of 70 knows nothing but this dispossession and oppression. And in Gaza specifically, there is this highly organized, really systematic effort to make people's lives unlivable. And it's not too much to say, really, that this is like a slow genocide. And when you know that you're up against this, and for the most part, the people of Gaza see that the world hasn't cared, no matter what they've done, no matter all the reports that come out from the United Nations, from human rights organizations, from, they talk about people's rights and they talk about the violations, but nobody does anything to hold Israel accountable. So it really is this sense of you're up against this power that is trying to wipe you out and nobody cares. And therefore, to still have the energy and the will and the spirit to organize in the hopes that still maybe, still maybe somebody will hear you, uh, it's really incredible. And so what they did was, this started, the idea started as a youth initiative, and an idea amongst the Palestinian um, youth organizations and youth factions, and they took it to the different organizations and to the various political parties. And from what I hear, everybody liked the idea and got on board. And the idea is that they would erect tents along uh, this border, but not really getting very close. We must also recognize that Israel said that these Palestinians went up to the border and tried to uh, go through this border. That's not what happened. The Palestinians set up their tents about five to 700 meters from the border because they know Israel fires at people getting any closer, even though this is still Gaza's land. Um, but they set it up about five to 700 meters in five different areas, these tents, and the idea was to go there for land day. Land day was March 30th, and it commemorates in 1976 when Israel announced the plan to confiscate more land, it was a big protest amongst Palestinians to protest Israel's confiscation of land and colonization, and, and Israel killed six Palestinians who were citizens of the state of Israel and injured many, many more and arrested people. And Every year since 1976, Land Day has been a really significant day. So the idea was from Land Day, March 30th, 
we will put up these tents and have people go there and have all kinds of activities for kids, social, cultural activities there, and stay, as you mentioned, for six weeks up until the lead-up to May 15th, which is the day that marks our Nekbe, which means catastrophe, the day that Israel declared itself a state and had virtually wiped out 500 Palestinian villages and uh, exiled three-quarters of a million Palestinians. It started our refugee problem. It started you know, Palestinian dispossession. This May 15th marks 70 years of that. So that, that was the idea, to do a very nonviolent, something everyone can participate in. It was estimated that more than 30,000 people, men, women, and children, participated in this, headed toward these tents. Uh, and as we saw, there was you know, an opening of fire. But despite this, People are still, I mean, it's a tragedy, this loss of life and these serious injuries, but Palestinians are not deterred and they're going to continue. And the idea is that even more people will mobilize for May 15th to march right back. The tents are still there. The activities have, I mean, people are now doing the funerals and tending to all the people that have been injured. So there isn't there aren't these activities that are taking place as originally planned, but they will mobilize more people to make an even bigger showing on, on May 15th that people have declared that they are not going to be deterred. Well, it's not the first time we've seen Israel crack down on protests and protesters um, and certainly arresting people and the, the huge number of um, Palestinian political prisoners languishing in Israeli prisons. Um, the, the most famous, recent, most famous of these is young Ahed Tamimi, who is a, a young 16-year-old or 17-year-old now, um, who was arrested um, for protesting um, against these uh, various atrocities of Israel that you've detailed just a moment ago. Tell me a little bit about, firstly, what Ahed did to get arrested um, and the solidarity movement that's built up around her. Yes, thank you for that question. In fact, I was just um, communicating with Ahed's father last night and asking how they're doing. And his spirit is high. He's obviously very proud of his daughter and his wife, who has also been detained and been in prison. The Ahed was 16 at the time, though she, as I mentioned, lived her whole life under Israeli military occupation and is very familiar with Israeli soldiers coming into her village, uh, raiding her home, taking her father, who's been imprisoned, her mother. Her mother has been shot. Her brother has been imprisoned. But this, and, and every week when the people of her small village of Nabi Saleh gather to protest Israel's confiscation of their land, Israeli soldiers come in and they shoot at her fellow villagers, uh, tear gas them. So she's very used to this basically ongoing terrorizing uh, that the Israeli military does. On this particular day in mid-December, Israeli soldiers came onto her land shortly after they had just shot her 15-year-old cousin in the face, and he was in a coma in very serious condition. And therefore, when the soldiers came on her land, she confronted them, uh, stood up to them, and was arguing with them to get off her land, and then she slapped a soldier. Well, this was caught on video, and it was posted then on social media, 
and got the attention of the Israeli news media, and they broadcast it, and the Israeli news media and the public started saying that this is shameful, that this girl, this terrorist, they called her, be allowed to treat their soldiers like this, and therefore in the middle of the night, Israeli soldiers raided her home and dragged her from her bed and took her away. Uh, She was put in an Israeli military prison, and she was charged in the Israeli military court system. They put 12 different, accused her of 12 different things, uh, ranging from uh, assault to incitement, uh, things that could have landed her in jail for 10 years. Because her village has been so vocal and and has been protesting and has uh, accumulated international friends and solidarity, her case really did raise international attention and people all over the world started saying what is, you know, what is happening here and demanding that Israel free Ahed. We had a a petition that was signed by nearly two million people and just uh, exposing these efforts by the international community, people around the world really also hear strongly in Australia saying, look at what Israel does to children. This created a lot of pressure on Israel. So just a couple of weeks ago, they offered her a plea deal where she would plead guilty to four of the charges and she would spend eight months in jail. Now, this is completely unjust. It's outrageous. She has had no kind of due process. In fact, during her military trials, Israel closed it off to the public. They didn't want anyone to see what was happening behind closed doors. But as outrageous and unjust as it is, the only reason they offered this deal is because of the international pressure that they were receiving, and it didn't look good for them. And it was much better than the 10 years uh, or, or even two or five years that she could have gotten, and much better than most Palestinian uh, people and especially Palestinian children, receive. Every year, Israel puts five to 700 Palestinian children through the military court system, taking them from their homes in the middle of the night, interrogating them with no attorney, no parent present, no due process, and prosecuting them in this system where the prosecutor, witnesses, the judge, the jury, they're all part of the Israeli military. And therefore, this court system has nearly a 100% conviction rate. And that is why Ahed and, Ahed and her family felt that you know, rather than lose the years of her life that she could have, and which many Palestinian children do behind bars, she took the eight, eight months. So she will be spending another four to five months in prison. And then she has to pay a big fine, and she also has a, a suspended sentence that if they arrest her again, she will have to serve out the rest of it. But what she is saying when Ahed was asked what she thought of her sentence, she very, you know, acutely said this is an illegitimate court and there is no justice under occupation. And she urges us to draw attention to the other Palestinian children that haven't got the the exposure that she has gotten. There is a widespread recognition amongst Palestinians that we really need it in order. You know, we will, as Palestinians, keep fighting and keep struggling, but without international solidarity, uh, we will be crushed, and Israel will not think twice about crushing us. 
That was Huweda Araf. She's a Palestinian-American human rights activist speaking about the situation in Gaza. Of course, one of the biggest international solidarity movements in support of um, Palestine is the international BDS campaign. Um, You might have heard that Pussy Riot, the um, supposed feminist women's band, is at the moment proposing to play in Tel Aviv. So right now, building pressure on them not to do that. If you're in Melbourne... Uh, There is a rally today in solidarity with those in Gaza. It's at two o'clock at the State Library. Make sure you get down there and show your support for the Palestinians. And and also in Melbourne, uh, this Sunday, the 8th of April from 12pm down at Web Dock, there is a solidarity barbecue for the MUA members who are taking strike action against CUBE. And for those people that haven't been following it, the Cube, in reminiscent of what happened at the Patrick's dispute 20 years ago, almost to the day, is helicoptering scabs into work these members' jobs. So get down and support them at 12pm, 46 Coringa Way, Web Dock. And just while we're talking about industrial struggle here, uh, in Victoria, there's a mass delegates meeting organised by Trades Hall on Tuesday the 17th of April from 10am to 1pm at Melbourne Town Hall. We'll announce that again next week so you can get the details. That does bring us to the end of the show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs uh, on Asia Pacific Currents. But coming up next is Palestine Remembered.